Okay, the first question in the lesson, I need to clarify something, because the way I wrote it, I said, what do you recall was God's purpose in sending Nahum to that great city approximately 150 years later? And it was in the review question on the first page. Well, actually, we don't know if Nahum took the message to Nineveh or not. We know it was a message the Lord revealed to him through a vision that mainly was to encourage the people in Judah and the captives that had been um, conquered by the Assyrians um, from the northern kingdom. Maybe he sent, maybe it was written then and sent, maybe just word of mouth that spread to Nineveh, but uh, we, it really, we don't know if he went there or not. So I wanted to correct that. Um, it was a prophetic vision that the Lord had given him that he then had written down what he saw. Um, it was partially written to the Assyrians, um, and as you read through, you saw sometimes it was a little confusing. Was he talking to his people? Was he talking to the Assyrians? Was he just describing what he saw? Um, but e either way, we know that um, it was there to encourage God's people, and we can learn from it. Um, it, it did declare what the Assyrians' future was going to be. Um, and so, anyway, the message of what I want to do is go over chapter 2. I'm going to go through it in the NIV this morning, and I'm going to try to explain what some of the imagery uh, was that, and what it meant that was used in the vision, because until I read through several commentaries, um, and I maybe have a little bit more access to some than you or more time to look at it, I didn't understand the meaning behind a lot of it. I was as confused as maybe some of you were when you first read through it. But a general rule for study, and I know you've heard this, is when you look at a verse, what does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? So that's kind of what I want to do uh, as we go through this morning. So first I'm gonna, we're going to see what it says and I want, as we go through, I'll try to explain some of what I found that it, it may mean. And then we'll finish the message with what does it mean for us then today. Okay, so in verses uh, 1 and 2, it says, An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress, watch the road, brace yourselves, marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines. So Nahum, again, is seeing and predicting the fall of Nineveh that does take place in about 612 B.C. The Babylonians and the Medes come against the Assyrians and will wipe out Nineveh. And we'll get into that more next week as we finish up the book of Nineveh with chapter 3. And by the way, your lesson that you're given today, again, will only be one page front and back. Now, a hundred years earlier, the Assyrians had fought against, as I've said, the northern kingdom and had conquered them and taken slaves. And then um, uh, they also came against the southern kingdom, but this time God intervened and they only could cause them to pay tribute. So even Judah was still being intimidated and forced to pay uh, the Assyrians. And so the Lord is saying to his people, that's going to change. There is coming an end to, um, to this, and he was going to restore Israel to what 
it once had been before Assyria had come in and, and taken over. So in verses 3 and 4, it says, The shields of his soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day that they are made ready. The spears of pine are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. Well, Wearsby explains that the armies of the Medes wore scarlet uniforms and used scarlet shields. Now, Lurie had found some information that she shared with me that suggested they wore that color so it would disguise the blood from being bloody in, in battle, uh, so it wouldn't show as much. The spears and the lances, probably made of wood, were so many that Nehemiah saw it looked, I mean, that Nahum saw it looked like a forest of trees. They came, they came in on chariots, charging down the city streets, and the metal on them probably would be very shining, shiny and reflecting the light. Now, I don't know why this would be, but I read it in a couple different commentaries. I guess some people in the past have tried to liken these chariots rushing through the streets to cars driving back and forth and likening it to our day. Well, most of the commentaries that I read that I respect, the commentator, they say, don't pay that any, never mind, that that's... This is just a reference to what was going to happen to Nineveh. He was referring to the chariots of the day as they would go into battle. Okay, verse 5. He summons his picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. It is decreed that the city be exalted and carried away, be exiled, and carried away. Its slave girls moan like doves and beat upon their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool, and its water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. So verse 5 now describes the Ninevites scrambling to get ready to try to defend themselves. Verse 6, most believe that there ended up being a fierce storm that, that caused the, the waters to rise. They were close to the Tigris River that would flood through the city, and when the waters would subside, then the Medes and the Babylonians could go straight in because it would undermine the foundation of the walls in the city, and they, they went right in. And that is what happened, as we are going to see um, with what did take place uh, years later. Now, some versions of verse 7 don't refer to uh, and put the name in Huzab, who they believe is the queen of the city, but they think it refers to the city itself. So your translation or version that you studied with may or may not have said queen or her or Huzab. And you're going to be able to talk about that more in group because there was an optional lesson, optional question in the lesson. Okay, verse 9 and 10. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless. The wealth from all its treasures she is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble, every face grows pale. Now, um, what came to my mind as I read this, the, the principle of sowing and reaping. The Assyrians had sowed um, robbery and theft. They had gone in and plundered other nations. They had taken their wealth to make it their own wealth. So Nineveh was a very wealthy city, very prominent, but it was built in the wealth came from most other nations, including God's people. Um, 
And so now they're going to reap having their riches taken. And so I just, I just thought of that reaping and sowing again. They were reaping what they had sown as the Babylonians and Medes came in to take their riches from them. Okay, verses 11 through 13. Where now is the lion's den, the place where they fed their young, where the lion and lioness went, and the cubs with nothing to fear? The lion killed enough for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his lairs with the kill and his dens with the prey. And the Lord declares, I am against you, says the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. These messengers were the ones that would come back from battle announcing the victory. Well, they're not going to be heard because they're going to be wiped out. Um, and as I wrote in the lesson, the Assyrians had used lions as a symbol of their fierceness, of their armies, and they were uh, declaring that they were as strong and fierce as, as a lion who would devour their enemy and their prey. Well, no human army is a match for God, and when God is behind another army, they're the ones that are going to have victory. When God is behind you, no one can defeat you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And so um, God allowed the Babylonians and the Medes to completely destroy Nineveh. And again, we'll see that more next week as we finish the book of Nahum. So that's basically what the chapter says and what it means as much as I could find and pass on to you. So the last point, what do these verses mean to us or for us? Well, number one, God's word is completely reliable. That's what it means for us. We can count on what it says. God says what he means, and he means what he says. When God foretells the future, you can rely on it being 100% accurate. When God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Every prophecy gave, that God gave and had written, had written down in his word either has already come to pass exactly as he said it would, or it is yet to be fulfilled, but we can trust that it's going to be fulfilled if God said it is going to happen. God knows the future. He's outside of time, and I know you've probably heard this shared. We're like, like watching a parade go by, and we're on the sidewalk, and we're only seeing the part of the parade that passes by right where we're standing. God's like up above the parade, and he sees the beginning from the end. He sees the whole thing all at one time. So God is outside of our time frame. So he already knows exactly what's going to happen. The Lord is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And God foretold of Nineveh's destruction in detail, and we will see that it was fulfilled. It happened just as he said it would. So if God has spoken to you, ladies, no, he meant what he said to you. He means what he says. In Philippians 1.6, he had Paul tell you via his letter to the church in Philippi, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Another promise that God has spoken to all of us, Luke 1.37, the Lord had the angel Gabriel declare to Mary that with God, nothing will be impossible. With our God, nothing is impossible. Don't limit him by what you see in your circumstances or by your own understanding or what man 
could do. With God, all things are possible. John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus was reassuring us that he has gone to prepare a place for us. It's predicted and, and foretold that he will come again for us, and he will. You can count on that. He's gone to his father's house to prepare a place. He said it, he meant it, and it will be as he said, whether he comes for the whole church and we go then or when our time is up. But either way, we're going to spend eternity with the Lord. We are his bride. He is our bridegroom, and we can count on him coming for us. So just like the prophecy concerning the end of Nineveh, Jesus' declaration to return for us will come to pass. So we need to know God's word. We need to know what it says. We need to know what it means and what it means to us. And I, I've shared this before. If God said it, then believe it, trust it, rely on it. Okay, well, what else do these verses in Nahum chapter 2 mean to us or for us? Well, number two, we need to know that God is not against us like he was against Nineveh. Through Nahum, we learn what it is like if God is against a nation or, or someone that is evil and wicked and who continually rejects him and rebels against him. But God is not against you. God is for you. I keep reminding you of that, but you must know it. You must believe it. You must stand on that truth and be confident that God is for you. And you're going to um, be discussing it some in group, but I also want to highlight it now as well. And the three verses that I gave you under the first point are the same. God's word that he is for you. It confirms he's for you, not against you. He's going to complete the good work he began in you. Nothing is impossible with him. And he is preparing a place for you and he will come again because he paid so you could spend eternity with him. He took God's wrath so that you wouldn't have to experience it, and you would not ever have to be apart from him. Jeremiah 29, 11, while this verse was spoken to Israel when they were in captivity, it is still a godly principle that we can cling to, that we can rely on. Um, it says, for I know the thoughts, and that word thoughts is plans and intentions, that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. If you're in a difficult situation today, ladies, know the Lord has good plans for you. He's going to work it out. He is your strength. He's not going to leave you or forsake you, so press into him. He's your peace. He'll bring you through it. Uh, he's, he, again, is for you. He's not against you, and your victory is in him and through him. So trust in that and rely on that. Cling to him and cling to his word. Okay, and lastly, what does chapter 2 of Nahum mean to us or for us? Number three, we need to know that those who reject the Lord and his salvation are choosing spiritual death over spiritual life. God's mercy is everlasting, and it's extended to all who will come to him and confess their sin. <laughs> Earth is not going to last forever, and those living on the earth isn't going to, aren't going to last forever. And like the Ninevites, repentance does bring salvation, as when Jonah went and declared their destruction, they repented. But then, as we see, they returned to their evil ways. And when one does not repent, there is no salvation. We can't say, well, 
I maybe after they faced the Lord, after they died, they they repented. Once the human breath is gone, it's been decided. There is no hope. There's no other way of salvation except through Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. So pray for your unsafe family members. Pray for your unsafe friends and neighbors and people that you encounter. They need to know Jesus. So take it seriously. This is serious, and I know sometimes we just think, well, I don't have the boldness, or I'm not called, I'm not an evangelist, but yet we're all told to do the work of an evangelist. And I heard this example shared, and you probably have too. But it's like we're all in this burning building, and for believers, we have found the way out. We have been saved. We know where the way out is. Well, we're out So thank you, Lord, we're out of that burning building, and I'm just so rejoicing, and I'm just going to leave everything else behind. Is that the way we would be if that was really the situation? No, we'd be yelling and screaming and hollering at the people still in the burning building. There's the way out. Come over here. Even if they don't choose to come, that's up to them. But we would be telling them, this is the way out. Come, find the way. Take the way, and you will be saved. We need to make the way of salvation known to others. We need to live it out, but we also need to plant the seeds and water the seeds. God gives the increase, but we need to pray for boldness. We need to ask God to give us more sensitivity and boldness towards those who don't know the Lord and not worry so much about what they're going to think of us. They're rejecting Christ. If they reject him, then who are we to worry about being accepted by them? Their salvation is more important than what they think about us. So um, as we close in prayer, I want you to think about someone right now that you care about that you know is not saved. And don't, don't take a chance. Well, I don't know. Maybe they are. They're, they're a good person. Good per- people don't get saved because they're good people. They get saved through faith in Jesus Christ. They go to church. That doesn't make them saved either. They need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you know someone like that and you're praying for them and you care about them, just lift lift them up before the Lord right now. So, Lord, we do thank you so much that we can learn from your word, even though it's, it's so far removed from our circumstances today, and yet, Lord, it really isn't. So help us, Lord, to walk in the truth of uh, knowing your word and relying on it, Lord, knowing that you mean what you say and that you are coming again, you're going to complete that work in us that you began, and that, Lord, there are others that we need to be praying for. We need to be um, asking you for their salvation, Lord, and also planting seeds and watering seeds, Lord. So give us more boldness, and, Lord, we lift up these precious people to that are precious to us, we know they're even more precious to you. And we ask, Lord, the enemy be bound in Jesus' name from keeping them in darkness and deception, believing lies, being prideful, Lord, leaning on their own understanding instead of surrendering to you. And we pray, Lord, they be loosed that they might receive the conviction of your Holy Spirit, that they might see the light, that you would send forth your light and truth and lead them, Lord, into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let them know, Lord, how much you love them and use us, Lord, to convey that love, to example that love. And Lord, we we just commit it to you, Lord, 
Most of us need that extra measure of boldness, Lord, and sensitivity to share. So, Lord, we ask that you would use us to spread the good news, Lord, the good news of the gospel, faith in Jesus Christ, your free gift through grace. We thank you, Lord, that we can't earn it, that we don't deserve it, but yet you offer it. And we're so grateful. Lord, I pray you bless the discussion groups. Use them to minister to the women as they share with one another and continue to deepen our understanding of your word, Lord, and how it applies to us individually. Bless those that couldn't be with us today for different reasons, Lord, those that need to see doctors or dentists or just have other things going on, Lord. Just bless them and build them up. And we pray for those going to Israel, Lord, that you help them with all the last-minute details of packing and preparing, Lord, for this trip. Help them not to forget their passport, Lord, whatever else they might need as they gather then to go to the airport. And just keep them in safety and in health, Lord, and just cause the Bible to come alive for them as they go and as they return, Lord, if you tarry. May they just come back so on fire for you. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for being here with us, and we know you'll be with them as well. In Jesus' name, amen.